you're not renewing my contract, then you're paying me for a year and a half. All right? You're paying me for a year and a half. And here's why. The last time this happened to me, the last time this happened to me, I took the high road. I took the high road. Didn't say anything, said all the good things. That shit this time affected my family, my career, my livelihood. That ain't happening again. That ain't happening again. See, let me show you something. You just think long and hard about this one, dude. You're going to be thinking long and hard about this one. If someone said that to you, if they knew something about you that could deeply hurt your family, your profession, or maybe even endanger your life, what would you do? What would you pay? Today we're talking about blackmail. It's more than just a scam. It's a trap. You're forced into a choice. Will you get the lady or the tiger? In the end, the choice doesn't matter much. The tiger may kill you, but the lady most certainly will disappear behind another door and you'll be forced to make the choice again. Pay up or be exposed. Police advise victims to never pay up. Blackmailers rarely make good on their threats, but the police aren't taking the risk. You are. What would you choose? Blackmail is sometimes called extortion. It depends upon what law is being applied, but in all cases it involves someone who either has power over or is attempting to gain power over another person to get something they want. I saw what you did. I know who you are. The Hollywood version of blackmail involves some damaging information, like photos of a cheating spouse, then a threat to release the photos if payments aren't made. That happens, but most blackmail attempts have different motives. Here's an example. In 2017, an auto dashboard camera caught a couple guiding their 8-year-old daughter into traffic where she would be hit by a car and pretend to be injured while the parents demanded money. Sometimes it only takes moments for power dynamics to change. Often it takes longer. This report is from KGO in San Francisco. In his final full year as a San Jose Code Enforcement Inspector, Bill Gary made $178,000 in pay and benefits. He resigned last year, moved to Texas with his wife and kids, and became active in the church, hosting regular prayer and song sessions on Facebook. Now he's back in San Jose, but behind bars, charged with 14 felony counts of extortion, bribery, rape, and other sex crimes. Gary is accused of preying on the owners of the massage parlors he was inspecting. He would ask for money to grant permits or to overlook certain code violations. For other victims, when money wasn't an option or if sex was an alternative, uh, Mr. Gary would also take that as payment um, without the consent of the victims. Prosecutors believe he got more than $140,000 from massage parlor owners in just a few months and forced some of the six listed victims to perform sex acts. Depressingly, in our research, we found most blackmail attempts were originated by public officials, police, politicians, inspectors. Perhaps we found more of these because they became public, because they involved public officials. 
It's difficult to say because if payments were made privately, there's no way we could know. Fox 5 Atlanta says the officer Bill Miller convinced a woman he'd arrested earlier for suspected drunk driving and possession of meth to meet him. He suggested he could make the charges go away. On the 19-minute recording, Miller alternates between asking Roberts for the names of drug dealers and asking her to at least lift up her shirt. Sure, no boobs? Yeah. God almighty. Sorry. Can you give me the dignity of a boob shot? Sorry. <laughs> One boob. Please don't fault me for that. <laughs> I really don't want to have sex with you. I just with you. I have. <laughs> I mean, I would, because you're not a bad-looking girl. You just, you just shaking your ass out. I'm not that type of girl. I'm a good girl. I just hang out with the wrong crowd. Philadelphia has long been a hotbed of union corruption. Announcing charges of extortion, the acting U.S. attorney in Philadelphia claimed IBEW union boss John Doherty, better known as Johnny Doc, used his power to help his nephew Gregory Fioca, a union electrician. John Doherty and Gregory Fioca used force and violence and threats of violence and economic harm to extort salary payments for Fioca from an electrical contracting firm as payment for work Fioca did not actually perform. According to the indictment, Johnny Doc's nephew, Fioca, got paid for what he worked, which was less than 40 hours. But the nephew pushed back, telling the project manager, you think yous are untouchable. I'll break all of you. I'll break your face. Later, Fioca allegedly grabbed him by the throat, threw him on a desk, and threatened him with further violence. Federal prosecutors say Doherty himself then got involved. Doherty is alleged to have threatened that he would no longer allow local 98 electricians working for that company to work overtime that he would force the company to operate three shifts of electricians on the job, that he would potentially pull all electricians from the company's job site, and that he might just try to prevent the company from securing another large job in Philadelphia. That was ABC 10 in Philadelphia. There's one other piece of work I want to tell you about. Martin Hyde. Hyde was a Republican candidate in Florida, running in a primary race for a seat in the U.S. House. He was also a lawyer who had handled many cases for local police officers. He was well known among the police rank and file, but that didn't stop an officer from pulling him over for speeding, texting while driving, and refusal to hand over his vehicle's registration. I don't ask for special treatment, but I don't expect to get treated like a punk. Mm -hmm. Let me go talk to her and see. Well, it's a waste of time. Yeah. She's got it in her head. I know exactly who she is. Grangie only told me exactly who she is. That's fine. Seven years might not turn into eight. The full audio is long and later involves a supervisor being called in at Hyde's request. But I can tell you that from the start, the officer was professional and courteous. Hyde didn't originally deny the officer's observations, but he did divert many questions to hand over his registration. When the officer finally informed him that he would be cited for failing to hand over that registration, he then handed it over. Because she had a bee in her bonnet because she thought she was on a big power trip. Guess what? She's been there seven years. She ain't going to make it. That second threat came about four minutes after the first one. To my ear, this is not a threat directly to the officer but to the supervisor and the department. He believed his power over them was so strong that he could and would call the shots. 
After the video was revealed, Hyde tried to make amends. I, uh, I got stopped. I was uh, allegedly speeding. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Most of us do at some point. I don't have a particular problem with uh, paying a fine. Uh, what I had a problem was with the, uh, the officer. But let me qualify that and say straight up, I was completely bang out of order. I have no right to talk to anybody like that. And uh, I not only called the officer afterwards to apologize, I apologize to everybody that's uh, come into contact with it. But I'll tell you why I was annoyed. I was annoyed because I spent hundreds of hours working on behalf of local law enforcement here in Sarasota, including getting officers reinstated who have been falsely uh, charged with things. Um, and as a consequence, for the most part, overwhelmingly, the police here treat me with some degree of respect. That doesn't mean I get off with anything. It means that they don't come straight in and uh, tell me that uh, I'm texting when I'm not. So, uh, yeah, I was wrong. And uh, if there's a lesson out there for anyone, uh, wait your time, bide your tongue, and uh, wait until another time. But uh, I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for the manner. I'm sorry for any offense. Um, and uh, I don't equivocate on that. So much for public blackmail. What if someone tries to blackmail you? Blackmail cases are very interesting. I have gotten calls before from people who feel like they're not outright being blackmailed, but there is someone who has, uh, maybe who has too much information on them. And so my job is to, to find out more about that and to find out what, what are the risks, what that person might do with that information. The thing that's interesting about blackmail is a lot of people think that the CIA uses blackmail and that's how we get our sources. And that's not the case at all. We were definitely trained at the agency not to exhibit any vulnerabilities that would make us susceptible to blackmail. And so one of the things that I try to counsel or consult clients who feel like they might be the victim of blackmail or they're in a situation where they might be blackmailed is to safeguard their information, to do a kind of digital scrub of themselves and to make sure that information that they want to keep private, they're taking the, the steps themselves to keep that information private. Now, if someone is outright being blackmailed by another entity, my advice is always to go to law enforcement. I, you know, I, I don't have a lot of respect for people who employ blackmail, and I think if you call them on their bluff and, um, you know, report it to, to law enforcement or seek legal recourse, a lot of times they will end up backing down. That's Lindsay Moran, a private investigator. But she's not the world-weary type you see on TV. She's a former CIA agent, trained in covert operations, and who spent a lot of time convincing people to betray their countries. The kinds of cases that I get really run the gamut. A lot of times it's competitive intelligence. You know, a lot of times it might be wanting to know more about a potential employee or even a potential employer or business partner, risk analysis, uh, overtures from foreign businesses or entities. I get a lot of what I guess we would call kind of 
counterintelligence queries. That is, someone uh, has been approached and they want to know more about the, the person or the entity that's approaching them. That's most of what she does. But that also puts her in contact with people who have a lot to lose. Those cases are about far more than who gets to keep the house. In personal cases, you know, whether it be something really personal, you know, like a a love triangle or whatever, I ask them to look at what the facts are, how how devastating would it be or detrimental to their personal life or their business if this information were to get out. I don't ever believe in acquiescing to the demands of a blackmailer because I feel like they're, number one, they're doing something that is illegal, (laughs) it's wrong, And, and that nine times out of 10, if you call them on their bluff, they're going to back down. But if someone were to find themselves in a situation where they're being confronted with exposure of information that could be really devastating to their personal or professional life, one thing that I would offer to do uh, would be to kind of act as a broker or negotiator between let's call that person the victim and the person who's going to expose the information. Now, if the information being exposed is evidence of illegality or, you know, harassment or something that I that I think is is genuinely really wrong. You know, I just don't take those kind of clients. I want to be on the side of, of right. Having come this far, I must acknowledge that the Hollywood, tough guy, pull-no-punches kind of blackmail does exist. This is right out of film noir. If you're not renewing my contract, then you're paying me for a year and a half. All right? You're paying me for a year and a half. And here's why. The last time this happened to me, the last time this happened to me, I took the high road. I took the high road. Didn't say anything, said all the good things. That shit this time affected my family, my career, my livelihood. That ain't happening again. That ain't happening again. See, let me show you something. You just think long and hard about this one, dude. You're going to be thinking long and hard about this one. That is the voice of former University of Kentucky assistant basketball coach Dino Guardio talking to head coach Chris Mack. Guadio was called to Mac's office to be told that his contract would not be renewed. Guadio had already found out, and he planned what he wanted to say. Be warned, a lot of F-bombs are about to be dropped, but bleeping them out would mask the menace in Guadio's voice. See, it says in my contract here that if there's anything about NCU, there's anything, anything about violations, I'm supposed to talk to John Carnes, and I'm supposed to talk to Vince Tyree, and I'm supposed to talk to all those guys. And you know what? I fucking will. I fucking will. He's talking about John Carnes, the university's athletic compliance officer, and Vince Tyra, the athletic director. He then proceeds to list all the department's alleged violations. 
So you know what you're doing? You're gonna fucking pay me. Now here's the, this between me and you, dude. Me and you. You could go tell Vince, hey Vince, Dino's, I don't care what the fuck you tell Vince is my Dino's my guy. I'm gonna pay him for a year and a half. He could retire at 66, and then and I'm gonna take care of him. That's what we could do. And you know what? That's what we're gonna do. Or else, I'm going to fucking John Carnes. I'm going to fucking Tim Sullivan. I'm going to Billis, Vital, Frischillo, all those fucking guys. So that's the way this is going to go down, dude. That's the way this is going to go down. The names Guadio is tossing around are mostly the names of sports reporters. The Louisville Courier-Journal reported that the sentencing memorandum says Mac told Guadio he did not want to screw up your livelihood, that I love you, and that he would pay the severance package personally if necessary. The newspaper said Guadio pled guilty to one count of interstate communication with the intent to extort and asked a U.S. District Court for a sentence of one-year probation and a $10,000 fine. Most cons are tricks or misdirections intended to confuse the sucker into handing over their money. Blackmail is a direct, in-your-face threat. The con artist must convince you that making good on the threat would destroy their lives. But as Detective Moran told us, coolly assessing the threat generally shows that even if the information were released, it could be managed. But even more importantly, blackmailers rarely make good on their threats. It's a con, after all. The con artists want you to willingly give over your money. There's no profit in releasing the information and increases the risk for the blackmailer. If you're in a situation where you're being blackmailed, it's embarrassing, and that information is going to be exposed anyway, that if you can get in front of it and own it and apologize, you're going to be the one who's going to look better in the end. Throughout my life, I try to take the high road. I will say I haven't always taken the high road, but every time I have taken the high road, I have never regretted it. I have in at least one instance uh, where someone was being, they, they weren't being outright blackmailed, but it looked like it was going in that direction. And I said to the other party, what you're doing is illegal. So, you know, the blowback on you is going to be far worse if you carry on with this action. Um, and I will report it to authorities. Look, I think blackmailers are just bad people. I really do. <laughs> so, you know, in my mind, if you've if you've resorted to blackmailing someone, you're just on the wrong side altogether. Oh, and for what it's worth, shortly after the video of our blowhard candidate that threatened the police officer aired on local television, Martin Hyde nearly stopped his campaign and lost the primary.
A successful con seduces a sucker into a world where their dreams can come true. Power and great riches are within their grasp. This magic casts a spell that leads its audience to hand over all their money to scammers who vanish before the sucker realizes it was all an illusion. If you enjoy the podcast, please help us out by telling your friends and encouraging them to listen. Scams and Cons is available wherever podcasts are found and at scamsandcons.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Scams and Cons. Lastly, if you can head over to Spotify and leave us a five-star rating, it'd be really appreciated. Spotify listeners are more than half our audience, so it makes a difference. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.